folks. Welcome to another edition of Duets from the Trenches, Musicians You Should Know. My name is Nick Drozdoff, your friendly neighborhood studio man, and I'll be your host. Today, my guest is trumpeter, singer, and educator Jeff Hedberg, leader of the medium as opposed to big band, C11, paying tribute to the music of Marty Page and Mel Torme. Today's show is a little bit longer, so I'll be keeping the pre-interview business down just a little bit in time. First, I wanted to give you some info about the show's theme music. This is a little piece called Blues Waltz, a chart that I wrote for my older CD, circa 2006, No Man is an Island. I play trumpet and flugelhorn on this, of course. Also featured are Larry Beers on drums, Greg Baroni on bass, Dave Dorsett on guitar, and Neil Artwick on piano. I'm planning on shows with the musicians who played that CD, so we'll get around to playing some of those tracks in their entirety at that point. Next, as a professional trumpeter, I am an endorsing artist for the Wedge Mouthpiece Company in British Columbia, Canada. I play a complete line of custom-designed mouthpieces made for me by Dave Harrison, the brains behind the Wedge Company. I find I have better flexibility, endurance, and range with his unique rim design. To find out more, visit www.wedgemouthpiece.com or call 877-679-3343. Get an edge with a wedge. I also play gets and trumpets and flugelhorns. From B-flat all the way down the piccolo, I love playing these American-made instruments. Getson can provide a horn, meeting the needs for anybody out there. Finally, we are definitely looking for sponsors for this show. Your product or business does not have to be music-oriented. The analytics of this program are growing every day as we gain more and more listeners. If you do have a product or business you want to tell people about, please consider this show. You can reach out to me by visiting my website, www.nickdrawsdoff.com. That's www.nickdrawsdoff.com. Or emailing me at nick at nickdrawsdoff.com. Now on to our show. Jeff Hedberg is a multifaceted musician. I first met Jeff as a trumpeter at the Green Mill session uh, down in Chicago, if memory serves correctly. I was impressed with his jazz voice, uh, combined with his lead player's range. Then I got to hear him sing, and I was totally blown away by his silken vocal stylings. Jeff currently teaches at Harper Community College in Palatine, Illinois, teaching trumpet, vocal skills, and jazz studies. He runs a very diverse Harper College big band as well. Jeff's singing is remarkably reminiscent of Mel Torme. This inspired Jeff to form his own band, C11, a band dedicated to the performance of the charts of Marty Page and the vocals of Mel Torme. Jeff and C11 released two huge CD projects, Nice Work If You Can Get It and Too Darn Hot. Both can be found at the usual places on the internet, but the best source is Jeff's website, www.jeffhedbergjazz.com. Let me spell that for you. That's www.jeffhedbergjazz.com. Given the size of the band and the consistency of membership, I want to pay homage to all the musicians. 
I hate to use the word sidemen because the structure of the band and the charts is such that everyone has a moment in the sun. We're all part of this. So here's the band. The trumpets are Joe Lill and yours truly, Nick Drossoff. Kirk Garrison also played on a couple of tracks. Steve Duncan plays trombone. Lisa Taylor plays French horn. Rich Armandi is the tuba player. Rich Moore plays alto sax. There's only one tenor part, but we have a couple of guys covering that, and that's Jared Buffet and Brett Palmer. Covering the Barry parts, Barry part, I should say, are Ted Holgarth and Brian Toms. Ken Spur played piano. Joel Palacastro plays bass. Darren Scorza plays drums. And finally, Jeff covered all the vocals, of course. I'm sure Jeff would agree. None of this music would be possible without this aggregation of dedicated, hardworking artists. Before we get to the interview, let's listen to the band. On this track, Jeff handles the vocals, Rich Moore does the alto solo, Brett Palmer plays the tenor solo, and I play the trumpet solo. Here's Marty Page's arrangement of Cheek to Cheek. Heaven, I'm in heaven, and my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I see When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek Heaven, I'm in heaven And the cares that hung around me through the week Seem to vanish like a gambler's lucky streak When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek Oh, I love to climb a mountain and to reach the highest peak but it doesn't thrill me half as much as dancing cheek to cheek Oh, I'd love to go out swimming in a river or a creek But I don't enjoy it half as much as dancing cheek to cheek Dance with me, I want my arms about you The charms about you will carry me through To heaven, I'm in heaven And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak And I seem to find the happiness I see when we're out together dancing cheek to cheek
on to the interview. Uh, today I'm sitting here with Jeff Hedberg, of the band leader and vocalist and trumpet player from C11. And um, uh, really glad to have you here today, Jeff. Thanks I'm for making this. Cool to be here. It's cool yeah. to be back down here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did have this, the crammed in record, yeah. uh, <laughs> rehearsal session one day. Um, I want to just kind of talk about music in general. If you've listened to some of the other shows, the whole thing is about you know what it is to make music in Chicago or the Midwest mm -hmm. or, for that matter, anywhere in the world right now. Um, and what it is for people in the trenches. You know, uh, it's not like you know, being a big star from L.A. or New York. These are, you know, we are musicians sure. who are out there making, making the music that makes it all exist, so mm -hmm. to speak. So, um, you know, when did you decide to make music your life's work? How did you know this is something you wanted to do? So I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago. I was raised by my grandparents. Uh, so just having that generational influence, my grandmother just turned 83 last month, uh, having that generational influence, hearing music that they were into, uh, that I was hearing nonstop, I didn't realize how much that played into me being a musician. Of course, now I understand that. Uh, went to Marist High School, studying under the infamous Frank Mana, and by the time I got to be a junior, uh, really started getting into doing more trumpet playing. My first love that I really wanted to do was play accordion of all things. Oh, really? My grandparents used to take, we, it was, we, I grew up at 63rd and Oak Park. So like the very edge of the city, my grandfather was a police officer. My gram worked for the telephone company. So uh, it was like, how far can we go and not be inside the city, but still within city limits. So every Friday night we used to go over into, I think it's summit on Harlem Avenue. I think the pizza place was uh, Leon, it was Leonardo's on Harlem. And, uh, every Friday night there was this guy, I don't remember his last name. I know his first name was Al. It's this big Italian accordion player. Uh -huh. And I just thought that was like the coolest instrument ever. And the, the alley cat song was like, I would ask him for that every single <laughs> week. I thought it was so cool. Uh, so I really wanted to learn how to play the accordion. And, uh, my uncle at the time also, uh, he's Lithuanian and he went to brother rice high school. Uh, so he also did not a ton of playing, but did some like polka band stuff, uh, in high school with his brothers. And, uh, he brought over one of his old accordions, the smallest uh -huh. one he had. I picked the thing up and boom, like fall backwards on my grandparents' bed because <laughs> there was no way I was holding it, it up. <laughs> uh, so my grandparents decided, okay, that's not going to work. We'll buy him an organ. Uh, uh -huh. so I had started playing playing organ and uh eventually you know got to reaching pedals as well and you know, that was that was kind of where i had got my start and man do i wish i would have kept playing organ because i miss it now yeah um yeah. but it got more and more into trumpet when i was in uh high school and my junior year also started to dive into doing some singing in the uh summer youth group that frank ran called uh, the imperial youth band iyb and uh then i got into college and i knew that i wanted to do something in music and uh since my grandparents were going to be helping foot a big chunk of the bill yeah uh for college it was well that's fine you can go study music but you need to have uh something that's going to also pay some bills so yeah we will help you out so long as you are pursuing some sort of ed degree or even a music business degree that's fine with us but if you decide yeah. to just do performance you're on your own um and so luckily i you know i wasn't completely sold on doing 
education, but I didn't really see myself doing the business end of it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I opted for education I, and I got into it, which was, which was cool and uh, got more serious about singing. Uh, once I was in college and uh, Doug Beach had turned me on to Chet Baker and I was gone from that point on was, uh-huh. that was my first primary, like, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to sound like. So now was with Chet, was it, uh, just a trumpet playing or a trumpet playing and his singing that it was actually, it started off as the singing. Okay. That's um, interesting. I mean, but the first, the first thing that, you know, the first solo I had to transcribe was autumn leaves. Okay. Uh, so there was that aspect of the trumpet playing as well. I mean, that's where I'd started. And then once I had gotten more into that, she was too good to me album. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm like, Oh, this guy kind of sounds a bit like me. I have a, higher voice i don't you know have was that was that baker's last recording no 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 this this was his i I guess technically it was his comeback okay okay it was the i think cti yes cti with um uh steve gadd on drums oh yeah which was the first time i'd really heard a like a a drummer working that that busy inside of you know a a small group jazz thing Uh it was uh so cool to have you know going on all over the place against especially just you know the light openness of chet's vocals and then the more that i got into chet the more that it wasn't just the playing and the singing it was his life that really started to resonate with me i this is, and i'd mentioned that and i don't i don't usually share this but i know you well enough and we've known each other okay. enough, well enough now i will now everybody's uh, you know, know people it. ask me you know, like <laughs> why why were you raised by your grandparents well i my mother was alcoholic and drug addict mm-hmm. my father was also alcohol alcoholic i think dabbled around in drugs mm-hmm. and they my, my grandparents had had, had enough and yeah. took custody of me when i was uh one year old and struggling with that the whole time i'm trying to figure out what, what's wrong with these people yeah <laughs> you yeah. know uh when i started really diving into chet's life that was kind of that that connection for me it was you know it, it didn't explain anything for me but it was a nice way to maybe this is what they were going through and you know why not that i have abandonment issues because i said their yeah. grandparents were essentially my parents i was yeah. one yeah. year old i don't have a prior memory really but yeah. it it was reading through especially his i i guess quote unquote it's an autobiography uh called as though i have wings but it's really like his i think his family was you know it had put together some some of his jotting downs and memoirs and stuff and compiled it into a book but it was really eye-opening to see what he was dealing with emotionally reading through some of his frustrations about music struggling to make music constantly being compared to i mean at that time really miles um but you know also trying to find this balance of drugs and and music um it was, you know, and I just replaced drugs and, you know, this little boy and it became a really interesting way for me to psychologically get that much more inside of what he was playing. Intriguing. Yeah. And, uh, and I was kind of off from there and I don't, you know, if you were to look at my CD collection that of course I never use cause who uses CDs hardly anymore. Right? <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot of chat that I, you know, that's that that I don't have because I just started really diving into it more and more, and I'm remembering this now. Like the first when I when I was in high school and first started kind of getting into some singing, I don't know how I had come across Chet Baker as like, but I knew that he was a trumpet player who sang. Yeah, and I had 
it was on, I, I know it was called Nightbird and it was on the Excelsior label. I think it was like a second because mm-hmm. I found other albums that have this on. There was a live thing, I think recorded out in Europe somewhere, and he sounds absolutely awful. Really? Tone-wise, trumpet and singing. Really? And I, when I'd heard that in high school, it was like, I, I listened for three minutes, I'm like, oh, this is garbage. I'm going <laughs> to put this away. And it was off onto Maynard Ferguson. Um <laughs> When I came back, there's a contrast, you know. Right. <laughs> when I had come back in college and started, you know, diving into more and more his, his recordings, I had somehow picked up that same recording on yet another label because his stuff was notorious for just being released all over the place because he wasn't on top of it. And uh, I'm like, oh yeah, wait, this sounds familiar. And then having kind of that maturity and exploring all of his earlier stuff to go back and listen to the later stuff, and then suddenly get it. I'm like. Oh God, man! Had I had the emotional or maturity or the musical intellectual level to really understand what was going on there when I first heard it when I was in high school? Yeah. Wow, did man did I miss out? But it was a really cool kind of rediscovery. Yeah. As well. It's interesting you had that rediscovery thing because when I first started listening to jazz in high school, I was completely enamored by Rafael Mendez. That's mm. all I wanted to do was play Mendez stuff, and then I kind of discovered Doc Severson, but. One of my teachers said, "You got to hear this guy Clark Terry," huh. and I listen, you know, I listen to it. And as a high school kid, I'm going, okay, I don't get it. I want right. to play the the Mendez things. Sure. And then as I matured and started to really understand the sense of what they were doing with art, I was like, "Oh man, I, how could I have missed this?" Right. But I think it's just part of growing up. You know, no, it, it absolutely is. Kid, I mean, you only pick up bits and pieces along and, the way. And Clark isn't someone that I had really started to get into until I was halfway through my bachelor's degree. Yeah. And, you know, and even, even then I'm like, Oh yeah, man, this is really cool. I'd love to play like that. And it, you know, it's, it's melodic. And, and, and then after listening more and more and more, especially now, like, you know, when I hear people describe that as like the happiest trumpet sound in the world, it's, it's a silence. It, it is. And, uh, and I guess that's, you know, kind of like the, the people that have had the most influence on me are those people that aren't just, going through motions aren't just yeah. here's a line that works here's a sound for this it's you know this truly trying to express something and connect yeah. uh, you know on an emotional level and yeah i mean anytime you hear clark and one got to you know have him out in front of elmhurst band it was like oh my god yeah man i get it this guy is truly in love yeah with I mean, what he's doing and he's sharing that that joy and that happiness yeah, to, a certain, to a certain extent i can hear that with baker too I mean, yeah you know, it was it was you know he Fell off the wagon after mm-hmm. he, you know, he cleaned Many up for times. a while. He fell off the wagon. Yeah, but he, but nevertheless, when he played, when it worked, again, it's interesting hearing about that recording that just it wasn't working. Right. Um, uh, but when it, when it worked for that guy, it, there was some pretty sublime, oh god, beauty yeah. that poured yeah. out of him. And I, it's sort of like that is what he was all about. The other stuff was a sort of a sad, yeah, uh, thing that tagged along, but not necessarily yeah. really him. Jeff, how did you start working? How did your career in Chicago begin? So I, I was still in college. It was uh, I did the five year plan to do a music ed degree. Okay, uh, I could have done squeezed into four, and <laughs> my wife did three and a half. That's we we had met in college, so of course there was that constant teasing of like, oh yeah, you're gonna she take an extra yeah. year. She won. <laughs> um, it, but it took me one year to do my master's, and it took her three. Yeah. So we're even. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
So I had, uh, I, I went to, did my bachelor's, as I mentioned, at uh, Elmhurst College, did music ed, and there was a uh, a steakhouse in Elmhurst, which I think is still there, uh, 100 South. I don't know if it's still the same owners or if they even do music anymore, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, you know, decided, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'm, I'm getting more and more and more and more into singing. And uh, had quickly just tossed together like a, a demo in a roommate's basement and yeah, I just walked in. I'm like, hey, how would you you know feel about you know having a you know a quartet or a jazz trio? And uh, of course, the first answer was, and, and this and the place had just opened too. Yeah, Everyone yeah. maybe only opened for a month or something, but high end steakhouse, yeah. good food, uh, and of course the first thing was, yeah, we'd be into that. Um, and he could tell, you know, based on looking at me, that you know I was college age or yeah. high, I don't know, high school age, but I think it was uh-huh. figured out I was college age. Uh-huh. And uh, it was well, okay, yeah, cool. Um, well, uh, you guys aren't looking to play for free. I'm like, well, well, no. He's like, well, how do you feel about you know like doing dinner? Uh-huh. And that was my first exposure <laughs> to that. Yeah. And luckily, I wasn't you know like. So like, yeah, yeah, I'll play for some free steaks or, you know, no, uh, I said, yeah, no, that, that's not, you know, that's uh-huh. not going to work. So we did, we started off, it was, it was 200 bucks a night and we did, it was three of us. Um, and it was, and you know, it was a cool, roughly what year was this? This was 2002. Okay. It was two, 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. Yeah. No, you know what? I graduated from there in, yeah. Oh, two. So this is okay. 2001. Cool. Um, and yeah, started working there and it, like, you know, it was not that, you know, like 200 bucks for three people on a Wednesday night is, you know, not by any means like an ideal steady gig, but it yeah, was in the world of rehearsal bands. That's not too shabby. That's true. <laughs> um, and they didn't want to necessarily do drums. I was able to sneak some drums in there every now and then. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was me and John Jeffries, who is a computer side teacher at, at Elmhurst, and Lucas Kammerer, who was uh, at Elmhurst, bass player, and then uh-huh. transferred over to Roosevelt. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a cool weekly thing. It was a nice way to start learning tunes, explore tunes, start trying to find what I thought was my sound. Yeah. Which we're going to get into. Yeah, we'll get there later. I, I saw that post online a couple of days ago about Whoa. exploring sound, and I'm like, I, I, want, to, I want to get into that with, with Nick. Yeah, it's a good discussion. Um, then there you were doing vocals. You were singing? No, I was uh, playing and singing. Playing and singing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yep. that's, that's excellent. You're teaching now. Yep. Okay. Uh, you're a professor at um, uh, Harper. Uh, how do they say it? I always call it Harper College. What's the official what we all title? call it. it Harold Rainey Harper Community College. Okay. But yeah, we all just, we, Harper yeah. College is. And so you're, you're kind of running the jazz program there now? The Jazz Ensemble. Jazz Ensemble. Jazz Ensemble. Okay. I've been there what, eight, I think eight years. Uh, we kind of, uh, Ken Spur had brought me in there along yeah. with a lot of the other guys on faculty. And yeah. yeah. And you're also teaching private trumpet. I teach, yeah. So I teach, I run, I now run the jazz ensemble there. I teach some private okay. trumpet, uh, legit you know, okay. trumpet, um, but mostly jazz trumpet and jazz voice. I teach, oh, jazz voice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you that. Um, what would you say if you're teaching these, these young people here? Cause we're kind of in a weird state. I am officially a senior citizen. I think maybe I'll use the expression baby boomer from here on out. Sure. Okay. Cause that, that has a little more endearing thing to it. Um, 
then I've had people in here who are millennials. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in between us. Yeah, um, and that's always that's I, I get God. So I mean, me and my wife talk about this a lot. Of there's like you know just as far as we talk about generational gaps, yeah. it's there's the yeah there's the baby boomers yeah and there's millennials and yeah. there's generation X generation Gen X and, and, and I'm not you know I was born in '79 and. I'm 40 years and one day old right now. <laughs> Congratulations. And thanks. And uh, it's, you know, never felt like, you know, like that technology divide that so many people like to, yeah. you know, divide generations by. Like, I, I, I'm not in the millennial thing, but, you know, I grew up in, in high school. And I, certainly when I started college in 97 with, yeah. you know, this learning how to do, you know, this stuff on, you know, on the fly as it was all coming out yeah well i guess one thing i was driving at you know, try to get a little uh perspective for our listeners as to where we are all coming from here mm-hmm. what would you say are the necessary survival skills for musicians that you would want to teach to your make sure your students the students are that's armed where, with yeah, when they get yeah, out yeah. of your studio there we go there there i started to veer off into left field because that was your question was like what do i try and impart to those those students totally is cool. um <laughs> Most of the time, with the students I get, and at, and at Harper, I, it's, I get a really cool perspective of. I occasionally get some high school students that are a little more serious, all the way through traditional college age students and up to uh, adult students. And depending on it, I mean, the first thing that I always ask any student, and partially this is because it's a community college, is what's your end goal? Right. What, yeah. what what are you looking to do? Is this for personal enrichment, just enjoyment, trying something new, looking as a career option? What's what's the goal? And more oftentimes than not, when I'm dealing with those students who are looking to pursue into music, uh-huh. um, it is OK. So what area are we looking into? Performance, business, marketing, education, or what? And there's like, well, you know, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's cool that you don't that you don't know. But, you know, start start really thinking about it. Um, and usually by the end of the semester, halfway through, I, you know, I come back to that question. And it's a lot of them are starting to, you know, really want to pursue performance because, hey, yeah. that's what they really love. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, and let's sit down and really have a conversation. Do you understand at least here in Chicago or the Midwest in general, maybe what does that what is that going to look like? Yeah. What are you like, getting you know, into? What are what are your what are your life goals outside of of music? What do you want to do, and how important is that? And should you be weighing that as as a factor? And then, of course, they're like, "Whoa, uh-huh. um, I don't know." I said, "That's okay, not to know," because at your age, I I had no no yeah. clue either. I said, "Hey, I'm still, you know, learning and and evolving and trying to find." a balance that works for, you know, my life in general. So it's, it's so many times like I, I don't say like avoid the performance, but I'm like, you know, if you go for it, but man, make sure that you have something that is also going to allow you to perform. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, way of putting that. it can take, and you know, and I, I learned kind of the hard way um, when I put out my, first official um recording of man how much money it can take uh-huh. to make money um or you know just you know g- gain some exposure it's 
it's not inexpensive. I, I would say maybe it's a little more inexpensive now because the internet is, you know, way, way, way beyond when I put out my first disc and I think it was 04 or 05. Yeah. Um, if 10, 15 years makes a huge difference, but it's, you know, and oftentimes because I have a music ed background and I teach full-time middle school as well. And in, in addition to Harper okay. that, you know, maybe you might want, if you think that you could, enjoy teaching look at that as mm -hmm. you know as a serious possibility if you really 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 want to get into the performing side of things maybe you also want to consider looking at a you know a school or a program that has some strong uh business skills or even you know marketing opportunities because you can harness that Real obviously for yourself but this is something also, that's come up a couple times i'm sure and yeah. you know harness harness that power that knowledge for yourself but also be able to offer that to you know other fine arts professionals and can be a way to supplement whatever it is you want to pursue so i guess maybe a takeaway and i'm i'm leading you here because mm -hmm. it's something that actually popped up in the very last show i did um having a day gig as a teacher is not somehow a negative thing. Oh God, no. Okay. And I mean, you and I have talked about that before. Yeah. I've, I've popped into a few online conversations yeah. before because <laughs> that is, I mean, I feel, and I, and this is completely my biased opinion yeah. and I feel like I can talk honestly about it with you because yeah. you're also a full-time yeah. teacher. Right. right. Um, there seems to be a very negative connotation here in Chicago about if you're serious about performing, and I mean, I really just, I, I don't do the commercial stuff. I don't do shows yeah. and, you know. So you're not jobbing. You're just right, doing yeah, jazz. Right, just jazz stuff, you know, was. That's and an I've run into that several times yeah. that, you know, oh, maybe you don't take this so seriously because you don't eat, sleep, leave, you know, breathe all of all of that. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's that's awfully narrow-minded thinking. But, hey, to, to each his own, I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but know. yeah, no, I've, I've, I, that's died down a bit, but I've also stepped back a bit, you know, from performing as I yeah. grow, you know, my family and, and my yeah. education career. So, yeah. you know, I, I get that, but you know, the hanging out at a, you know, a jam session every other night of the week until midnight, one, two in the morning mm -hmm. is, is, you know, just not always a feasible option for someone who's working full time. Yeah. Let's break into the interview and listen to another track. Here is Top Hat, White Tie, and Tails. Jeff is on vocals, and I play the little trumpet solo in the middle. This is really a terrific Marty Page chart. I just got an invitation through the mail. Your presence requested this evening, it's formal, a top hat, white tie and tails. Nothing now could take the wind out of my sails. Because I'm invited to step out this evening with top hat, white tie and tails. I'm putting on my top hat. Tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. I'm dooting up my shirt front, putting in the shirt studs, polishing my nails. I'm stepping out, my dear, to breathe an atmosphere that simply reeks with class. 
trust that you'll excuse my dust when I step on the gas. For I'll be there, putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tears. We talked about the jam session scene, and he was commenting that he maybe thinks it might be good to go back and do some of that. It's popped into my head, and I, and I kind of I, I feel myself pulling away from it again because I do wonder how much I'm getting out of it and how much I'm able to give at the same I mean, time. It depends on what what's your goal in going to a jam session yeah, yeah you know when i like like students of mine i'm like no you need to get your rear end out to some jam yeah, sessions yeah to put into number one put into practice what we're working exactly. on exactly two the networking aspect of it is yeah, is huge yeah, yeah. um but for for me i mean i try and get out relatively often i don't always get out to a city jam session i oftentimes kind of find myself out at manhattan's at okay. bruce oscar session on a wednesday because it's close to my house yeah, yeah um i'm not going out there to make connections i'm going out there especially if i'm getting out there during the school year i'm going out there to get that musical release that i need to get out of my system okay you know i did that just that urge to play yeah and i i, I totally get that and i i I'll probably, I'm still trying to find some sessions I feel comfortable going to, mainly because of, you know, location. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, sometimes these can be kind of a haul. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you're not jobbing, uh, and, you know, jobbing like playing weddings and all that right. stuff. And that's, you know, I I, I kind of miss jobbing. I'm no longer jobbing. It's not by choice. It just kind of happened because yeah. of ageism. But um, Which is BS. Yeah, yeah but, it's, <laughs> but it's what it is. And I... I I sort of understand that uh, you know people who are, uh, have a wedding don't want to have a band roll up that looks like the nursing home just emptied out. Uh, but even if the band is slamming, right? Uh, you know, it's it's just, uh, there's a great line I, uh, from the movie uh, about uh, Bobby Darren where his uh, wife said people listen with their eyes. They do, and I mean, uh, yeah. and that's you know, it, it is what it is. But um, so I'm not really 
uh, jobbing anymore. But I do like the, the fact that what we're doing is art music. Yeah, people are there yeah. are going to be lifted up in some way, not just um, be able to ignore us. Right. So when you're not jobbing and you're playing jazz things, you're necessarily looking about playing in clubs. Yes. Whether it's you know a bar or some dive. Or a more reputable jazz club, perhaps a jazz showcase, sure, or Fitzgeralds or something like that. Um, how, where does your head? How you wrap your head around the, the idea of what you have to do to get your band in a place like that? Yeah, and that's uh, something that, I mean, especially since within the last three years, especially four years, um, I've been struggling with. It's been very hard to book my band in places because it's Jeff Hedberg and C11. So there's 12 of us 12 people yeah. or sometimes 11. If you know, I opt to not do a piano for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember like when, when we first started this group, um, I think it, the first rehearsal that we did was you and Joe on trumpet. Um, you know, man, these charts are really, you know, cool. They're well laid out. They're really hip. You thought, of, you know, you should like, you know, think about tossing in some, uh, you know, like jobbing type yeah. type stuff and, you know, like do some wedding stuff. And my, my instant response was no, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, it was such unique music. And, you know, I, I guess I, I, I'll even admit to kind of being some, somewhat of maybe snobbish um <laughs> that you know like on the jobbing end there's there is absolutely nothing wrong with it and i wish there was more of it going yeah. on and not yeah. being replaced by so much technology because i mean the the jobbing bands that are out in chicago that do get a lot of work yeah. they play stuff really really well you know, live music man, really exactly adds so much it's yeah like, no exactly you talk to anyone who you know has the financial means or the interest or both, hopefully, uh -huh. you know, to book a live band for whatever event that they're hosting. If they, ho you know, host the same event night to night and one is, you know, DJed or iPodded and the other is live performance, I don't think that anyone who, you know, paid for that event or anyone in attendance would say, oh, yeah, I like the iPodded one better. Yeah, that's yeah. just not, not going to happen. But yeah. on the same note, because I have had a full-time job, that allowed me to have the income, you know, to not worry about how am I paying rent? How am I paying mortgage? How am uh -huh. I paying for kids? How am I, you know, everything else and allowed me to have that flexibility of here's the stuff that is meaningful to me that I want to do is to develop as an artist and get yeah. that stuff out there. Yeah. But booking it has been very, very challenging, especially as, you know, time has gotten tighter and clubs are looking to do, you know, oh, let's do a trio. Let's do a, you know, a quartet. Yeah. 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 It's, it's tricky. Do you bump into problems with, you got to bring your own crowd. Often, yeah, many, many, many times is you know, you um, sure we'll book you and here's what we're paying and the advertising is on you. Okay, gee, thanks. Um, and not that those you know clubs don't do some advertising as well. I know, I but know. I mean advertising yeah. as anyone who's you know done even a little bit of it can add up really, really oh, quickly. And especially you know that when you're talking about online advertising, it's so crowded that you know if I'm paying for some advertising on social media or uh -huh. somewhere else, is anybody really seeing it uh -huh. among all the other things that their eyes are being bombarded with? Yeah. The analytics only take you so far. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Cause it, uh, I wanted to put together a full size big band mm -hmm. for some time. I actually did an exploratory rehearsal earlier this year and it's kind of on the table. I'm still going to do something with it, but 
the biggest problem for me is where and how sure. I'm going to do it because I, I can just hear the club owners. Yeah, we'll talk, but you got to bring the people in. How are you going right. to do that? Right. And the nice part about having a large ensemble is you, you know, <laughs> family and friends. Discount. Yeah. Well, they got- you have more people to help. You know, network and spread the word to get to get people you know out to the club, and then then there's the matter of how do you get those people to continue continue that's you know the big to part. come out yeah you know to to hear performances yeah. interesting challenges. So, uh, I do think some of the technology can help, but again, like you said it right there, there are so many people. Everybody is you know right. It's not like we're the only two people thinking about hey, let's use Facebook. You no, know, exactly. There's like a gazillion. Yeah, and I mean, and I've. Uh, the the gigs that you know the band has done in the last you know a couple of years and private stuff has you know and I'll, I'll always do some sort of like you know Facebook advertising mm-hmm. and you know I don't I don't go for a huge huge budget but yeah. you know like okay I'll use their little analytics and yeah. like here's here's what I want to target and yeah. here's how long to run it and you know I never once uh-huh. have I had someone say yeah I came out here to uh, you know, I saw the ad on Facebook, so I can you know, you know, people that come in, they're like, either I was out for dinner or I'm on vacation, uh-huh. um, you know, or I seen an ad for the club and I, you know, wanted to come listen to some jazz. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you know, just walking. They weren't coming in necessarily because they saw a part. So like Andy's, name. you know, comes in with a right. you know, uh, pre-bundled audience. Ex- yeah, exactly. I, we've been talking about C11. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I know what that is, but I'm assuming a lot of people... You know, drifting in from the world of the WWW, don't know what that is, or may not. You know, we're going to try to. It's a letter that. followed by <laughs> numbers. <no, no. laughs> right. But uh, C11 is a is a band of your conception, built around the music of Mel Torme, Marty Page, and Marty Page. Mm-hmm. Okay, I maybe I. My my bad, but yeah, uh, no. It's yeah. I mean, you know, the obviously eighty percent or more of the book is you know is Mar- but, but, yeah, but I yeah. think that's a, that's an important distinction. Uh, Marty Pace was the arranger for Mel Torme, of course. Yep. Um, I was so thrilled to get to be a part of that when you first started putting this thing together because the arrangements are just phenomenal. The music is just sublime. Um, I think your your um, uh, tribute to Mel Torme with the vocals is pretty. You know, is amazingly dead Thank on. You. Um, Thank you. But um, uh, tell us about that whole project. How did this thing come into being? How did this? So this is interesting. Um, I had. I'm going to give you the extended background. Why not? Sure. So I had finished my um, ed degree at Elmhurst. Got through student teaching. Thought that I had a job in the bag within uh-huh. Elmhurst's uh, school district and. Uh, ended up turning out that a family member of administrator ended up getting the gig. So mm-hmm. I was looking at not having a job Ouch. right mm-hmm. out, right out, right out of college. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend, then you know, soon to be fiance, now wife, uh, we're looking at, you know, like getting an apartment and uh, found one in Bensonville, ironically, right down the street from Mark Pompey, one of my other favorite <laughs> <Okay>. singers. <laughs> um, but like, oh, how am I going to, you know, a job, 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 job. I ended up working at uh, an Acura, Acura, Acura dealership okay, okay. in Elmer selling cars. Uh, and So you were selling uh, car salesman. I was a car salesman. That's, well, you got the, um, I think you got the personality job for it. Well, not at that time. Uh, <laughs> That, 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 that we can talk about the personality thing because that that happened all because of teaching. Um, so I did that for like six seven months and was like, ah, yeah, no, this is this is not not for me. Yeah. And and that also was sucking a lot of time. And at that time, I was like, I'm going to be the next jazz star singer. Yes, I just uh-huh. need to get my career off the ground. And you know, I have no you know dealing about 
how am I going to help pay for the rent? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so I had started looking into, you know what, maybe we'll get back into teaching. You know, no, no, I'm going to go and do a master's program. So yeah. in the hiatus, I had, um, I, I've worked on and off um, since I was a freshman or sophomore in high school at Quinlan Fabish Music Company, the okay. kid who sat next to me. So I think it was my junior year that I had started. Um, I was playing first chair and he was playing second chair, Zach Kaharski. Uh-huh. And uh, he, his dad was vice president of QNF. And, okay. uh also lived on the south side and was like, hey, how about you come, you know, work there? So I'd started that in high school. So I'd called up QNF and like, and uh, Ron Kuharski was who I had uh, uh, called up because that was Zach's dad. I knew he still worked there and uh, it said, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And uh, no, I need to, you know, do something else. So he got me back in working there, um, just doing like shipping and receiving and some retail. And then teaching private lessons which uh-huh. really kind of got me back into you know what i got man i do like i do like teaching yeah uh so then started to explore doing some master's stuff and landed on northwestern okay uh and most mostly because they had a one-year jazz pedagogy oh. degree so i'm like you know what? i hate to knock something out in a year uh that is not a complete repeat of an education degree but you know going a little bit further focusing just on what i'm really into and passionate about struck me yeah yeah and i was you know was super nervous about even applying there because the guidelines are very strict they take no more than five ap- applicants for the position so i'm like you know what okay i'm gonna throw this stuff in did some you know like quick demo recordings and, and sent them you know off mm-hmm. instead of doing a live audition and they got back and said that hey you're one of three that were accepted wow and so when i had met with uh do don owens uh up at northwestern oh, yeah. and kind of did a pre you know uh, interview and said, okay, you sing and you play the playing end. We've got covered as far as studying, but we don't really have someone here, you know, singing. And I said, well, that's something you know, that I really want to explore mm-hmm. some more. He goes, all right, well, he goes, I want you here because you already have an ed background. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that might also be kind of helpful to the other two guys who's doing it because they're coming from performance degrees. So just having that interesting balance would be good for our program. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, let me talk to the uh, admin here and let's see about getting uh, someone like uh, Patricia Barber in as a teacher for you to study with. So yeah. I'm like, yeah. And at this time we had since moved out of Bensonville and we had, uh, moved up into Andersonville. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, in a, and at that time I was already kind of going to the jam session at the Green Mill on Friday night. So yeah. And yeah. occasionally I'd pop in on a Monday to hear Patricia's group. And I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome quite the local heavy hitter right and uh well that didn't pan i had talked to when i'm on and i talked to patricia about it and she was like yeah we can we can do that here's Mm -hmm. email here's you know this and they never panned out so uh, i i got a little frustrated with northwestern because you know that's not any small amount of money yeah yeah studying with mike coker um you know, I'd done semester one and uh, second semester guy said, he asked me, like, hey, what do you want to kind of focus on? I'm like, you know, Mike, honestly, I, I really want to focus on some vocal stuff. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I can't. He goes, I'm not a singer. And, you know, I said, like, it's not about singing. Yeah. We all use the same 12 notes. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, he's like, you know, man, I never thought about it like that. And uh, he's like, well, here's what I want you to do. He's like, I want you to go find some singer that you've never really, you know, studied and come back in a week or two and be able to sing whatever arrangement note for note so that I can barely tell the difference. Okay. Like, okay, <laughs> cool. And honestly, a lot of male singers are not 
uh, singers that I had been listening to, mm-hmm. I again, I'm I'm on the higher side. My voice has gotten lower as I've gotten older. But yeah. you know, at that time I was you know so my. 20s right yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> it uh, my voice was higher it was still kind of developing and mm-hmm. other than chet when i'm like I, well, let me let me not go the easy route and just you know come in and sing something that i you know know that i already you know have studied yeah. or can do or somewhat familiar with i'll yeah. i'll take him up on this mm-hmm. and uh and i said it has to be a male he's now has to be a male singer he goes i already know that you really dig anito day and carmen mccray yeah and yeah. you're not gonna be able to sing you know necessarily that so he says no someone someone new, like you know sinatra like some sinatra stuff i mean i'm sure yeah. you've listened to frank i'm like well, of course i listen to frank but yeah. again range yeah, yeah. um he's said, a baritone you know, yeah yeah uh and my voice is starting to lean that way now but not in my 20s no. so I had walked up to the uh, borders in Evanston, and when they still had their, like, check these recordings out, there was uh, Mel Torme, Lulu's back in town with the Marty Page <laughs> deck tet. And, you know, I just randomly, I'm like, okay, I, I know who Mel is. And um, when I was getting more and more into jazz singing at Elmhurst, Doug Beach had said, you know, yeah, you got the Chet thing down here. Well, check this out. And he'd given me uh, just like a, like a burned single of Mel Torme with, I think it was the Buddy Rich band uh, doing a bluesette. Okay. Um, and, and and that was him. And I, and I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is cool. And I can sing along to it, but man, it's awfully kind of sticky. And <laughs> it was just like, it was not cool enough for me at the uh-huh, time because uh-huh. everything had to be laid back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stupid me. Um, <laughs> but all worked out in the end. So, I, you know, the moment I had popped the CD on in the little listening station, I had the first track on that album was Lulu's Back in Town. And I, you know, the first two notes I hear, bolt, bolt. I'm like, is that a tuba? What is uh-huh. that? And I hear Mel come in and there's all these horns doing this little chromatic thing behind him. I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm like within three measures. I'm like, how have I missed, missed this in yeah. yeah. studying? And as I, you know, just got through, I didn't even get through the, the whole first track of that. Um, I had... Took the earphones off, grabbed, grabbed a copy, and decided that that was it. Because by you know halfway through the track, here's the singer who's not doing this typical like here's the intro, here's the melody, uh-huh. here's a solo or a little shout section, and here's the singer, and here's a fancy ending. There was none of you know not to oversimplify a lot of yeah, you know yeah. classic vocal yeah, big band yeah. stuff but then hey that's many times the formula yeah. especially if you're looking in sinatra land or d martin or anything right, anything right. else it's and that worked for that time period but here was something that was you know a singer that was on a completely different level working not over horns or in between horns but working absolutely in tandem with them yeah and i'm like yeah. and, and for my brain that was the perfect link and bridge that i've been trying to find of are you a singer are you a trumpet player? Uh-huh. <laughs> How? Wh- when are you both? And yeah. that really satisfied both ends of, of my brain. So I had come back in the next week. He's like, all right, what do you got for me? I said, so here's the album that I had found. He's like, okay. And my, I guess Mike was kind of maybe, I think, somewhat familiar with it. And uh-huh. uh, he's like, so what did you do? I said, Lullaby of Birdland. Uh-huh. And went through. Is that the that, one we recorded? Yeah, same chart, same chart, <laughs> same solo. And, you know, yeah. no, no surprise if someone wants to go and listen to that disc. Yeah. You know, what you're going to hear is Jeff's interpretation of Mel's scat solo um, <laughs> on it. Because it's a, just a, it's a great solo and great example of someone not doing some of the typical, like, scat 
tricks or anything else, but actually scatting some serious lines and melodic ideas. Um, and again, just kind of functioning like a horn because Mel could. Uh, and that's kind of where I had ended up. And I, the more and more I got into studying that stuff, I, and it was really my wife that kind of pushed me to start like, you know, this is what you need. She's like, is every time I watch you on stage, you're not terribly engaging. She's like, I love you. <laughs> and she's, I mean, she likes jazz. She yeah. played in the jazz band with me at, in, in college at Elmhurst, but yeah. jazz is not her thing. And if it's not going to be entertaining for her, she's like, yeah, blah, blah. I don't care how many <laughs> fancy stuff. I don't care what extension in the chord you're playing or singing. I don't care. Neither does anyone else. Um, she's like, I think you really need to do something like this to, uh, you know, really be in, you know, it would help you just maybe come alive a little more yeah. on stage. And at that time, I had also finished the master's degree, and I started teaching at uh, Wright College for a year, uh, and then went into teaching uh, high school on the West Side. And man, that was the that was my first. You know, like um, now I figure out what stage presence is because if if I'm going to hold these kids' attention, I got to not be this. Yeah. Um. So. As she kept kind of pushing, she's like, well, can you find these charts anywhere? And no, <laughs> I, I can't. And uh, so I started, you know, kind of hunting around online, starting to transcribe some stuff myself. And through some forum, someone said, hey, check out this guy. And no, I'm not going to say his name because he was originally, you know, like, man, I don't want, you know, everyone calling me up for this stuff, but you seem really interested. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, here's what we can do. Um but he, once I started getting that stuff, and I had some of those charts um, before I started putting the band. I was maybe sitting on those charts for a year or two, I think, uh -huh. um, before I had put the band together. And slowly, just as funds would allow, start accumulating them as time would allow, start writing some of the stuff out mm -hmm. um, and comparing my transcriptions to you know some of the charts that I was getting. And uh, once we, Beth and I, had decided to move out of the city and out into the, the burbs, and I had moved into another school district that did allow for me to have some more time, it was, mm -hmm. yeah, let me start, you know, looking at maybe putting this together in a big push other than finding this, you know, balance of vocal and instrumental that satisfied kind of my two alter egos in my brain was my grandfather passing away. Mm -hmm. And one of the last things um, that he had kind of told me was, you know, whatever, whatever it is you haven't done, do it. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you don't want to miss out on something. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that really kind of stuck with me. And I just said, you know, like I, I knew getting into it, it was not going to make any money. Mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. dude, you're talking about, you know, it's not a big band, but it's still it's large. It's a large group. Um, and do, do it because it was interesting to me, find some people that would also dig the music yeah. and, you know, and eventually decided, yeah, let's, let's record some of this stuff because there's not a lot of this music out there and the original recordings as well done as they are mm -hmm. um it's a vocal cd or cd not a cd yeah. it was, you know it was a vocal album yeah. so the focus was you know not 100 percent on mel but when you're listening to mel singing inside of those arrangements the vocals are super super hot because yeah. that's what people wanted to hear in the yeah. late 50s and early 60s um and probably rightfully so so when i decided you know hey let's start, maybe try and start recording some of this stuff but take the focus off, off of mel and put it more on 
on the arranging side mm-hmm. uh, and make sure that all of these beautiful moving lines that Marty would write and the voicings he would use around, you know, around a singer can be heard. That that really became kind of the the inspiration of a better a stuff. better spiritual balance as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's really evident in the mix that you came up with on these. That's on the I, and that's that's a dual. Uh, so. You know, we talk about how expensive something is. You know, I mean, roughly, I think I ended up dropping close to twenty thousand, which I yeah, had yeah. no clue what was you know going to go into it. And it was also a big learning curve for me. It's not the first time I'd recorded in a studio, but it was the first time I had sat down and recorded a large group yeah. in a studio. And I thought that we had everything mixed. And of course, and I'm and, I, and as we're mixing, yeah. Um, and this was at Studio Media with um, Scott Steinman, who is an absolute sweetheart and yeah. wizard, yeah, uh, yeah. and just warm soul and great place and great person to work with yeah. um, sat down with the scores in front of me as we were mixing and making sure, Hey, you know what? This moving French horn line, okay, this, needs, this needs to be bumped out a little bit. This, this, this tuba line, you know, really needs to, you know, have some presence, this, you know, Barry said, you know, all little stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. was time consuming. Yeah. And in the midst of doing all of that, I thought that we were done and I'm listening to him like, yeah, this sounds really good. And then, of course, my wife, who, you know, thank God that I have someone that will be completely honest <laughs> with me. She goes, you know, that band sounds really good. Um, and she was in there for some of the mixing as well. Yeah. yeah. She's like, um, but she's I'm just going to say it. She's like, and I'm going to upset you. And I don't I don't I don't care because at this point, you know, it's like I. I'm neurotic. We all are, yeah. you know, especially when you're, you know, doing a project that big, you want it to be just perfect. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and trying to get all the horns and the mix and everything else, it was, she's like, yeah, you sound like you're singing into a pillow. Interesting. And I'm like, you're nuts. <laughs> Cause of course I was like, what do you know? Yeah. You know, but you know, and, and she knows quite a bit. I mean, she's a pretty solid musician herself. Yeah. So, so uh, a couple days later, I'm like, Oh my God, she's right. <laughs> I call Scott back and I could just hear like the disappointment in his voice. He's like, Oh, it's like, I thought that we were done. I said, and, 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 and even Scott had said, you know, he goes, yeah, I didn't really want to, you know, you were so into the mixing. Yeah. He's like, and I'm really glad that you were because, you know, normally that would drive me nuts to have someone. He's like, but it is such a historically, you know, thing and you need to bring something new to it because, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not going to rival Mel Torme or Marty Page or, you know, Art Pepper or uh, any mm-hmm. of the other cats on there. So he's like, you really did a lot of justice in the, in the mixing of the horns. He's like, but are you making a album that is featuring horns Mm -hmm. or is it a vocal recording yeah and i said well it's both and he's like no yeah he's like i don't like to disagree with you because it's not my thing he's like but it's not both yeah Yeah. he's like i think it's a vocal recording and i'm like okay (laughs) so the compromise was um, he's like, all right, we'll, we'll go back and we'll start remixing. It was many, I mean, his wife probably wanted to kill me because we'd be sitting there <laughs> at two or three in the morning sometimes. Um, we went back and the, and the agreement was, was I will take any input as far as the overall mix. Um, but the, I, I'm leaving the, vo- the voice 100% up to you because apparently I don't think enough of myself or my singing uh. to, you know, feature. I said, so 
I want you to work with the rhythm, work with the rhythm section and, and the vocal and get, get the, you know, that balance that you think, cause there's a decent amount of stuff where I'm just singing with the bass and the mm-hmm. drums. Yeah. There's no piano on there and most of the stuff. Yeah. And I said, and then we'll take the rough mix that we set up that we already have for the band and then fold it into there. I said, and any opinions that I have about the voice hit me in the head and just tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we went back and kind of, not completely remixed, but I mean, remixed, rebalanced every single vocal thing. And yeah, you know yeah. that, I mean, is, is that just flawless from a mixing point? Hey, I'm sure everyone always says they can probably do it better, yeah, but, yeah. um, the fact that it, you know, most people say, wow, you know, I could really hear what's going on there. And people that know those charts say, well, it's really cool to hear that stuff. That's all hundred percent Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Now these CDs are still available. Right, they are, and they can be found where. Uh, I know they're on CD Baby. I'm pretty sure both are on Amazon. I believe. What are, what are the official names of the recordings? It is the the first disc that we did was called Too Darn Hot. Yep. Which again was also credit to Scott Steinman. I couldn't figure out what to call it. <laughs> um, I want to say like, and we um, we laid down thirty. 30 tracks. Well, I was there. In three days. <laughs> um, 29 of which we used. I'd say that's a pretty good thing. And I yeah. don't think that there's any takes that are... I think we only did maybe one or two takes on it each was, tune. I mean, It was still a long couple of days. It was all. It was a long few days. Absolutely. Um, and able to split that stuff into uh, two CDs. So I, I was like, oh, the, the you know music of... Or pages of Page. I uh-huh. You know, the thing with that. Um, volume 1. Pages of Page volume two uh-huh. and Beth is like you know I love the music but yeah. does anyone really know who Paige Pages. outside of yeah. nerds like you <laughs> and I said yeah you're probably right and I couldn't figure it out and Scott had come up with you know he's like well what do you think is the the lead the like the the strongest track and I said you know I, I, I I'm too far into this music now to have like what I thought was my favorite and yeah. after having to divorce myself from like listening to the vocals i'm like yeah. i don't know he's like what do you think he's like too darn hot he's like i really think you know the, the band sounds really solid on there. there's some good soloing you sound good it's a really hip chart yeah um make that the title yeah I'm like you know what i will yeah so yeah. that was the first one was too darn hot and yeah. then the second one um took a, a little while to get out because i had kind of lost my job at the the new district that i was in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um got cut a couple times never completely lost my job got riffed and then and then brought back before the new school year started fortunately yeah. and once that i knew that you know i was tenured and i wasn't really going anywhere unless i really did something heinous or something um oh, i had you know enough money to release the uh, second one which was nice work yeah if you can get it, if you can get um, it. <laughs> which was kind of, you know, my snub to the school district. Yeah. Of, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, that was the two. And I, you know, would love to sit down and, you know, there, there's 29 tracks on there and I don't know how many tunes there's, I know that we've expanded the book from originally like 18 or 20 from when we first sat down and rehearsed the stuff mm-hmm. out to 60 some charts that are in that book. So, um, It'd be cool to sit down and record some more of that stuff, but yeah, funds. Now, <laughs> yeah, I told, totally get that. You did bring something up when we came in and started talking mm-hmm. about finding one's voice. Yeah. Um, 
I'm just going to kind of set you loose on that. What, what What's on your mind? I was going to ask you a question about that first. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I guess that will help frame my answer. Because that's a question that I talk about many times and a concept I talk about a lot with my students, trumpet students and, and vocal students. So when you would, when you would mention like finding your voice, like what is, what, what's the aspect that you're thinking of is like, what, what's the, what's the voice? What's the sound? What constitutes that? I consider myself a highly competent professional trumpet player. I don't think of myself as God's gift of trumpet. Um, you know, I, it's sort of like aspirational, mm -hmm. uh, my trumpet self-actualization thing, if you will. I'm a jazz player. I want to improvise and create more creative solos. When I record solos, jazz, I usually have to do multiple takes. Mm -hmm. Often people will take one or two pieces of a take, that I've, the different takes I've done, splice them together. Sure. Easy to do nowadays. I just want to get better about playing something that, A, is a whole entity all by itself, so it doesn't have to get fixed because I ran off the rails somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I also want to feel like I'm actually playing something worthy of transcription. Okay. I haven't gotten there yet. So when you're saying voice, your conception of voice is what is physically being played what's what's the line being created what's the note choice the musical ideas i'm completely content with my sound mm -hmm. as a lead player and a professional trumpet player and even as a jazz player i'm not talking about timbre you know when you listen to clark terry play he plays three notes and they go oh yeah that's clark terry right you listen to woody shaw three or four right. notes sure. you got him you right. know freddie hubbard you know, if when they listen to me play, it's yeah, it's some trumpet player who you know, and I, I, I want to get to the yeah. point where I'm actually saying something significant, uh, it was out rambling, sure, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> so, some of the most profound things that were said to me is I mean, when I when I was at Elmhurst, one of my favorite things that I, I enjoyed there, um, was. A, studying with Rob Parton, even though he was at Roosevelt. Yeah. And two, was studying with Mark Colby. Uh -huh. And to hear someone like Mark, and I, I remember this very, very clearly. It was 2001 or 2002. Um, and he had just, I know he was already a Selmer artist, but he had just been working with Selmer on uh, the, uh, I can't even think of the, whatever saxophone it is that Mark plays. Okay. I remember him saying, he he was kind of playing the horn out in a lesson. I said, "Oh my God, does that sound beautiful?" Yeah, the horn just speaks and it's warm. You know, the mm -hmm. sound was oh man, it was really cool. To, you know, watch an artist of his caliber go uh -huh. through that process of you know developing the sound and yeah. searching for it. And I said, you know, and I'm, I don't remember what the what the context of the conversation was, but it was the, my takeaway was from it. It was like, you know, man, like. Only 5% of solos out there are something really, really artistic. And, yeah. You know, yeah. and 95% else of, you know, and I might be getting the numbers wrong, but the gist yeah, of it, you know, I was, what was that? And, you know, it's like, and the rest is just some stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, man, because of course I'm, I'm sitting at this time listening to Mark play and like every time the man plays something, mm -hmm sounds profound to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I've come to as far as like sound concept that I also try and impart to students is, I mean, are no choices important? Of course they are. Are creating musical lines important? Of course they are. But what is it that, you know, 
from the trumpet end of it, right? All right. I mean, any, any musician, right? Why can we distinguish miles other than listening to it over and over? Like if I hear some new miles recording, how can I know if I've never heard that recording before that it's miles, how can I know that in the middle of some big band recording on some random basie chart that, Oh my God, that, that's, that's definitely Clark. Yeah. Why can I, you know, why can I hear something that Freddie Hubbard plays and be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's Freddie Hubbard. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes this is the lines that they're playing. Yeah, of yeah. course. Cause we certainly, you know, kind of get into some stuff that is signature to that, yeah. that person, but it's the, that concept of, of, of sound, I think, and trying mm-hmm. to connect with the instrument. And I, and I struggle with this on trumpet and yeah. I struggle with it as, as a vocalist. And I feel like I've started to find some more, yeah. um, footing, but the, yeah, the, the, the first thing I said is to my students is, well, again, what's, what's the end goal? And I, I don't remember where I saw this online. It might've been on Greg Clemens poster or, or something in uh-huh. a discussion he was having, but it was a, it was a, or in some trumpet group on Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was a, it was a, like a legit player that had, you know, come in and was doing a master class with some college students or something. And this is like back from the fifties or sixties. And uh-huh. it, I don't know, it might've even been Arnold Jacobs or something that it was, but some, something along that era yeah. and, and that level of, of player. Um, it was, well, what's, what's your sound concept? What are mm-hmm. you going for? Yeah. Who is it that you're hearing in your head when you put that thing on your face? Yeah. yeah. And the 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 student that he was talking to was like, oh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, here, here, let me put it in different words for mm-hmm. you. Is you know, you're going on a vacation. Yeah. How do you know where you're going unless you know where you're going? Yeah. Okay. And you know, as simple as that was, it made so much sense to me. Of yeah. like, yeah, how do I, you know. I have all these people that are big influences on me as a trumpet mm-hmm. player and mm-hmm. as and, and as a vocalist. And how do I how do I start to tap into that sound, that concept, that approach, and yet still retain me or have some originality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in there? And from sitting down and talking to Clark Terry when I was in college, it was. I mean, I don't remember what the I'm, you might. I'm sure that you probably do know it or someone out there does because uh-huh. I know that he's used it many times. You know, like. Uh, jazz is what um, the first stage is uh, uh, not assimilation. Uh, it's copying, yeah, right? Yeah. Transcribing, right. sounding note for note, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it is, you know, assimilation yeah. of blend, take what you know. And then yeah. that final stage that, hey, some people get to and some people don't mm-hmm. is, you know, pure originality. Yeah. And I, I'm totally misrepresenting that, but um, that was, you know, kind of that you know, yeah, that, that, yeah. that structural thing. And it's a hard thing to, to chase. And, you know, and I, I think I'd almost have to disagree with you on that. It's the, like, is it, is it the note choices? I mean, if you heard, mm-hmm. right. Played mm-hmm. by Miles, Chet, Freddie, Woody, mm-hmm. any other yeah. you know guy that we would, you know, adore and love. Yeah. Were the as you said transcription worthy, yeah. right? Is it you know just because we play that lick, is it going to which which of those players playing it mm-hmm. is the one that you would go and transcribe? Okay, and why you know and yeah. why is you know why is that? Is the articulation? Yeah. Is it the sound? Is it the the time feel? Is it the attitude? Is it the placement of that lick and you know and whatever? Um, 
So what I've come down to is what I found most inspirational as as a jazz singer and as as, as a trumpet player is mm-hmm. not necessarily going after here's the lick I want to do here's the line I want to here's the note choices and sometimes hey it is about I want to just peg that note because I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a cool effect right now um, but it's my inspiration comes out of achieving the sound physical tone timbre yeah. um, sound that I'm looking for and that's where I start to feel like I lock in and mm-hmm. start mm-hmm. to feel more explorative and I guess solid as as a musician all right so just kind of recap here um cds mm-hmm. two dry hot yeah and nice work if you can get it yep both available all over the place amazon much, itunes yeah. all that yeah. stuff yeah um do you have a website that you would suggest I do. it is jeff hedberg jazz.com jeff hedberg jazz.com mm-hmm. yep. okay i'll be repeating that <laughs> in the uh, intro and outros jeff I can't thank you enough for being here today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. This is an amazing discussion. I think it's going to shed a lot of light uh, uh, on what it is to be a musician for our listeners, be they professionals or students alike. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Nick. I can't begin to thank Jeff enough for doing this show. It's truly an honor to be part of this project. I want to give one more shout-out to the fine musicians who are on this recording, and let's do that right now. Steve Duncan's on trombone, Lisa Taylor on French horn, Rich Armani on tuba, Rich Moore on alto. Uh, the tenor players are Jared Buffet and Brett Palmer. Ted Hogarth and Brian Toms are playing Barry. Ken Spur on piano, Joe Palacastro on bass, Darren Scorza on drums, and Jeff covers all the vocals, of course. Now, I do a lot of driving up to Studio North in Door County and back to Chicago, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. Often they give credit to the folks involved in the production of the show, so not to be left out, I'm going to start by thanking my staff. First, I want to thank my engineer, Nikolai Drozdov, who handles all the recording, editing, and mixing. Next, I want to thank my producer, Nicholas, a.k.a. Nikki Drozdov, but don't ever call me that, for finding the artists and their music and arranging for the show. I need to pay my respect to our marketing directors, me, myself, and I. Okay, you get it. Uh, when your program is operating in a shoestring budget, or no budget, you get to do it all. This is why we need your sponsorship. So please consider advertising here, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Well, thanks for listening. Until the next program, don't stop the music. Peace. Peace.